0: Kids, do not adjust your zoom. We are controlling transmission. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 493 with guest Doug Seven, recorded live Saturday, October 24th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD in RTV style. Audio copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.net controls with first class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who took his pants to the outer limits, Carl Franklin.
1: Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here. And uh, it's fall. Leaves are turned. And we are in our crazy conference season. Yep not much more to say about that. No Might way. as well get into better. No framework. Excellent. How do you like that? What do you got? So today I'm in the system threading uh, namespace. Of course, multi-threaded parallel applications are on everybody's mind these yeah. days because we got 20 cores on that laptop. We don't know what to do with them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll be 16 and then it'll be 64. Yeah. That'll be the jump. So, you know about the reader-writer lock, which allows you
1: to lock some code or a resource, I guess the way we should say it, allowing multiple threads for reading, but an exclusive lock for writing. Well, the problem with that, well, there's a lot of problems with that, but there's another class called the reader-writer lock slim, and it's similar to reader-writer lock, but it has simplified rules for recursion and for upgrading and downgrading lock state. It avoids many cases of potential deadlock. In addition, the performance of reader writer lock slim is significantly better than reader writer lock, and reader writer lock slim is recommended for all new development. So you heard it here first. If you're thinking of using reader writer lock, use reader writer lock slim instead. And the com- the, the uh, comments in the docs say, use reader writer lock slim to protect a resource that is read by multiple threads and written two by one thread at a time. Uh, just like the Reader, Writer, Lock. Cool. And there are some examples there and lots and lots of text and lots of explanations, which I will not go into now. But check it out. There's an example. You'll like it. Reader, Writer, Lock, Slim. There it is. Richard, who's yakking at
2: us? Oh, I got us a great email here. And it starts off with show number 486 with Michelle LaRue Bustamante was the best show in weeks. Wow. And then follows with a disclaimer. This comment is in no way meant to disparage Ms. Bustamante. She has a wealth of .NET knowledge and enthusiasm, and she's also a great guest. And I have to agree with all of that. She's awesome. awesome. And then there's a note to me. Note to Richard. Thank you, thank you, thank you for calling out the greased pig in the claims-based security model. You remember that conversation? Mm Mm-hmm. In software design, the grease pig is complexity. No matter where you think you've caught it, it slips away and shows up somewhere else in your application. This discussion was a perfect case in point. I'm a big fan of claims based models and think they are for enterprise applications, a more realistic model than the simplistic everyone fits into this tidy package role based approach. However, with power comes complexity.
1: Hmm, not responsibility. Yeah.
2: Well, there you go. <laughs> Having written a claims based model in ASP.NET 1.1, where there was about 380 or so granular rights that needed to be evaluated at runtime, it all worked great up to a point. It was simple to code to for the application developers. Basically, evaluating if current user dot is allowed sub some permission, then. Etc. was all that was needed to be done for the business slash IT people who had to set up and maintain the system. It was a very different story. Mm. I don't care how cleverly you build your web page with tree views or Outlook style interfaces; it still evaluates to 380 checkboxes to assign or remove permissions for individuals. Yeah, it is enough to make your eyes bleed. Yeah. In order to make it easier to apply permissions in bulk, you create roles, not roles in the classic is-in-role sense, but simply logical buckets to permissions so you can, with one click, assign all data entry rights to a new employee. Then you have to deal with overlapping roles where a user could obtain the can approve transfer permission from four different places. Now the complexity comes back to haunt the devs who had such an easy time before anyone actually used the software to do anything real. Support calls and bug reports like, how come Sally's supervisor can't access audit information? She's in the right role. And Susie Newhire just gave herself a $3,000 bonus and your software let her do it. <laughs> Start rolling in. Not to mention the angst you get from clients and install teams trying to define the security permissions on a new install. You want me to what? How many <laughs> times? <laughs> Architects, even great ones like Michelle, often don't see the greased pig. Maybe it is the fact that they don't feel the pain of implementing the perfect solution. Or maybe they just haven't felt it for too long. You were calling out the hidden cost of this model quite clearly and would not let it go. And for that, I salute you. Keep it up. Thanks, both of you, for a great show. Andreas Zinker from Infusion. Oh, wow. We know those guys. Yeah, Yeah, we know those guys. Andreas, a mug on the way to you. Thanks for the great email. I I really enjoyed the show, and uh, I think we really drilled into that issue. And we're going to do more discussions on exactly that topic to see if we can get a clearer picture of what's going on.
1: And, Andreas, you know what's going to go really, really well with that .NET Rocks mug? What? A little bourbon.
2: <laughs> it's true. I'm yes, just saying. bourbon goes a long way. Yeah.
1: Well, Richard, Doug Seven is our guest today. He's back. He, uh, Doug Seven is a senior product manager for Visual Studio. For the past three years or so, Doug's focused on tools enabling application lifecycle management, including Visual Studio Team System and Team Foundation Server. Doug joined Microsoft 10 years ago. With a colleague from Microsoft, Doug left and created .NETJunkies.com and SQLJunkies.com and spent the next five years evangelizing ASP.NET and the .NET Framework. Five years ago, Doug rejoined Microsoft as a development lead in Microsoft.com, where he's helped his team implement team system and ALM solutions. Now Doug is using that experience to help define the next set of tools from Microsoft to enable team collaboration and productivity. Welcome back, Doug. Thank you. Glad to be here. Or do you just commonly go as D7, the the two-letter acronym for your name?
3: I, uh, I'm i often referred to D7 also because it's my alias at Microsoft, although ah. spelled out D-S-E-V-E-N. So
1: what was it like having a number for a father?
3: Well, you know, the thing that has been most difficult is that it gives people an easy opportunity to define whether or not I'm under or overachieving. I can <laughs> call nice. I help six, dug eight. <laughs>
2: Oh, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, the the sad part here is you've heard them all. There's nothing we could throw at you you haven't heard before.
3: Heard them all. The the worst of them all was uh, a number of years ago, I joined a development team in which, sadly, I was the ninth developer to join the team. So you were seven of nine. The the jokes did not stop. Seven. I of begged nine. and pleaded for us to hire somebody new.
2: Yeah, I just go directly to Cleavage in that conversation.
3: Yeah, and <laughs> and I do look good in a skin tight suit, but <laughs> Yeah, you came prepared
1: for that joke. You oh man, he was he had, ready. He
3: had it was batter up. He oh, was yeah. like, Come go on. Ahead. Go
1: ahead, go lob him lob him one. Well, we're here to talk about the new beta of Visual Studio two thousand ten. Uh which was just announced. And, um, well, what can we say about it? What's different from the old data? Uh,
3: this one is a, a higher increment, so it's beta 2 as opposed to beta awesome. 1, which is Brilliant.
2: exciting. Brilliant! You know, he's a numbers guy. His name is 7, so 1, 2, it all makes
3: sense. <laughs> it'll It'll come around. Uh, combined with the fact that this week we also released an operating system named after me. That was exciting. Nice. Uh, but yeah, earlier this week, Monday, uh, Monday the 19th, we, we announced the availability of uh, Visual Studio 2010 Beta 2 for MSDN subscribers, and then on Wednesday this past week, a couple days later, uh, the worldwide availability of the beta for download. And uh, pretty exciting. We have a number of things changing with the beta, of course. Um what you would expect in the you know better stability, more features, uh, things starting to tighten up a little bit as we get closer and closer to releasing the product. Uh the product becoming you know more and more like what you'd expect in the release product. It's still a beta. There's still there's still things to take into consideration there, but it is far more stable and far more performant. And then uh the beta two comes with what we call a go live license. So the ability to start right. using Visual Studio 2010 for production purposes, start writing code, uh using Team Foundation server as your production server and we will support the transition from beta 2 to the final release product. It is a beta product, I will say. That means that there is limited support if you are using it in production, but we do support the transition to the release product. So
1: there is it safe to say that there are no features, new features in the beta 2 that didn't ship in beta 1 because they weren't ready yet, and now you're just focusing on stabilizing and performance?
3: Yeah, there's a bunch of new things in beta 2, Sort of across the board, we introduced the, the SharePoint development tools. Oh. Uh, you know, We had some improvements across the board with some of the capabilities you saw. If, if you'd been using Beta 1, you would have seen some changes in some of the user experiences. We fine-tuned the features and made them more intuitive and, and more, uh, I don't know, easier to use in, in, in a sense. So there's there's new features. There's improved features. There's a pretty significant difference from Beta 1 to Beta 2, and mm-hmm. then also the sort of stabilization of the, of the product.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we've been speaking with Doug Seven. That's our show. And uh, we'll see you next time on Darn Rocks. Excellent. Nice.
3: That was the fastest interview of my life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> not everybody's totally up to speed with Studio 2010. Yeah. So maybe we better dig into the big things. Absolutely. Because this is a major version of, of, of Studio, right? It seems like it's one of the magic threes. It's version number six.
3: So the interesting thing about this, right, is is that... If you think about sort of the the, the transition from 2005 to 2008, um, you know, in certain areas of the product, there were some pretty big jumps. Uh, I specifically focused on the Team System portion of the product, and for us, it was sort of it was a good release, but it was a it was not a major release. We did we didn't introduce a ton of new capabilities, but we did fine tune what we had, and we came out of the gate. If you think of 2005 as being our first release of the Team System product line. 2008 was really about fine-tuning that and making it better and, and adding a, adding some new features, but really not uh, a major overhaul. 2010 is that that third release of the, the Team System product line, in a sense, and that means that uh, we have some great new things that we're adding in. We've, we've really uh, improved what we can do with Team Foundation Server in terms of supporting collaborative development and adding new features to sort of Uh, protect developers in a way, you know, in in terms of preventing build breaks and making sure that they can manage their code assets better. Mm -hmm. And we added a bunch of new features in the, in the sort of IDE product as well as creating a new product, uh, the, is targeted towards the generalist or manual tester. So for the first time, we're actually bringing, branching the Visual Studio product line out to where we have somebody who is going to be using a Visual Studio branded product, but they're not actually using the Visual Studio IDE, and this is targeted towards testers, where they'll have uh, a standalone application that connects to Team Foundation Server. It's WPF-based. It's really designed with a manual tester in mind, somebody who doesn't write code. They they perform functional testing, black box testing. They don't write code. They don't like, want, or need Visual Studio, uh, the IDE, and so let's have a product that integrates them into the team, gets them all the capabilities they need. Uh, but is designed with them in mind. So we have a new product there. In, in beta one, we had this uh, in the in the beta. It was um, the application itself is called the Microsoft Test and Lab Manager. Um, but this brings me to probably one of the more interesting parts of our conversation is is how these things will be shipped so that customers can can get these tools. Yeah. One one of the announcements we made when we released Beta two was that we decided to uh, pretty drastically change the Visual Studio product line for the two thousand and ten release. It was largely based on uh, over the last four or five years, we've gotten a ton of feedback from customers and partners uh, about the complexity of Visual Studio. Um, there's there's uh, I don't know seven or eight different versions of the IDE that you can buy, and depending on what you buy, you have to give up something or you compromise something. You don't get Uh, everything you need unless you go all the way to the very top of the stack and and buy the whole package. But as you move up from Visual Studio Standard to Pro to the different Team System editions and then up to Team Suite, you're making compromises along the way and trying to figure out what it is you want to give up in order to get the thing you need. And it was just tremendously complicated.
2: Uh, I have to agree with you, Doug. I'm surprised how many people have never seen the test edition of Studio 2008 or the the database designer edition. Yeah, data dude. Yeah. yeah, people just don't know they exist.
3: Exactly that. Was, that was part of the problem we had is that um, you know, as customers transitioned from you know the 2003 release into the 2005 release and then into the 2008 release, there was it was hard to understand how the product transitioned and what what new products related to the t- type of work you did. So, for instance, things like the test edition or the database edition were were a great set of functionalities targeted to, towards specific needs. But it was hard for customers to realize that that was something they needed, or, or, you know, whether or not it was important to them. Whereas the development edition, just by its name, seems like that's what I need. I'm a developer; I must need the development edition. Um, when in fact there was there was features that were probably very important to you in other products. About a year ago, we announced that we were going to merge the database and development edition together. So anybody who had either one of those two products with an MSDN subscription automatically got the other one. And when that happened, we saw this huge increase in people that were downloading the database edition. So all the people that have the developer edition who really wanted that database functionality, but they wanted something in the development edition more. So they had to make that compromise. Now all of a sudden they had this new set of capabilities and they started downloading it and started taking advantage of all that stuff. As we looked at this, we we realized you know we're we're putting customers in an awkward position where they sort of have to compromise. I want the dev capabilities, so I have to give up the database capabilities. I want the test capabilities, so I have to give up the yeah. core dev capabilities. And this is just a bad solution for for anybody. Uh, you know which which features are most important to you, and what do you want to compromise? What do you want to give up to get there? So for for the 2010 release we decided uh, a couple things one is that this was just a bad design it was it was too complicated and it forced the wrong kind of decision making it should really be about uh you know how much how much more capability do i need uh so we sort of shifted the model for the product line and instead of being this sort of move up through standard and pro and then make a decision of which of these four different flavors that you want and what you're going to give up before you move up to the the highest end product let's just go with sort of a nested model where there's sort of a good level, a better level, and a best level. Um, follow this along with when, from a naming standpoint: Visual Studio Professional, Visual Studio Premium, Visual Studio Ultimate. Kind of like how you see Office or Windows naming, where it's uh, each each level gets me all the all the functionality of the level underneath it, and then adds a new set of capability to it. So I no longer have to decide do I want this or that. Now it's just sort of additive. How much more do I want uh, in order to do my job? What features do I need in order to do my job?
1: And the the ultimate version comes with a pretty hefty price tag this time, right?
3: Uh, well, if you think about it, the the ultimate version, is sort of parallel to what we had in the uh, in team system as the team suite product. So at the at the highest end of our product line in two thousand five and two thousand eight, we had what we called team suite, which which is just everything. If if it had a Visual Studio name, it came in that product. You got it, and that was everything. And so that was uh not an inexpensive product by any means and so visual studio ultimate follows along in that pricing model yeah. it, it, the price did go up just a little bit but not not tremendously
2: but not i mean typically when you bought team suite you bought the sort of server package and then right. you bought lesser units for everyone else right
3: in some cases, so we have, there's, there's sort of different models that we saw customers using, and, and, and this also helped us make some of the decisions we made. Which is, for some customers, it was everybody on our team needs, there's sort of everybody's a jack of all trades, everybody's a high level developer, they need to be able to do everything, we're just going to outfit everybody with, uh, team suite. And so, everybody on the team has all the capabilities. In other cases, we saw where, you know, the senior guys would get ultimate, and the the more junior guys would end up with one of the one of the Team System additions, or in some cases even even Visual Studio Professional. And this was okay; they could all still work. They spin up a Team Foundation server, and everybody could connect to Team Foundation server, and they could work together pretty efficiently. But it limited some of the people on the team from what they could do. And that's still going to happen to some degree as we even if we, as we go to this sort of nested model, uh, that's still going to happen to some degree. But we've done some work to really help the the transition uh, from those two different products. So a a good example of this is we had an architecture edition product where you can create these uh, architecture diagrams, and they're they're pretty usable, but if you didn't have the architecture edition, you couldn't open those diagrams and use them. Right. Uh, So now... We've added this ability now to at the Ultimate Edition you can you can create these architecture diagrams and you can use them to help communicate, you know, through UML or through layer diagramming or or visualization of your code assets. And you can create these diagrams and we've added a, a read only viewer for those diagrams to Visual Studio Premium so other people on your team can open up those diagrams and understand and you can use those sort of as a as a communication vehicle, attach a, attach a use case to a requirement, for example, or attach a sequence diagram to to a work item and use that to communicate to the other people on the team how how the work needs to be completed.
2: And just to compare here, I pulled up the Microsoft site and looked at Visual Studio Team System 2008 Team Suite. Retail price from Microsoft is about
3: $11,000. And uh, Yeah, and, so Team Suite with an MSDN subscription, so you get right. all the software in MSDN, it's, uh, retails about 11000 Right. And, and the new
2: Ultimate in 2010 with the MSGM's subscription is about 12,000. So, not that different.
3: Not that different. A little bit of an increase. But we also, in the Ultimate Edition, we added some new things that, uh, as we're developing new products, we, we talked about this sort of generalist tester product, um, the, that Microsoft Test and Lab Manager, this interface that I can use for test case management, test execution, uh, tracking or, uh, filing bugs and reporting bugs and, and, uh, all sort of generalist test activity. We've we've added that into the Visual Studio Ultimate package. So the senior devs who are buying Visual Studio Ultimate are getting all of that capability, all of the IDE capability, along with this uh, separate testing tool. Uh, so they're really at the higher end. They're getting a lot more value. The 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 capabilities they have in 2010 are a huge jump ahead of what they had in 2008. The the complexity around
2: Studio also made MSDN subscriptions more complicated too.
3: Yeah, so, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is, if you look at how the product is lined up today, there's a lot of decision making that you have to, if you want to buy Visual Studio because you want to build some software, you, the decisions you have to make are ridiculous. You, you yeah. have to decide which level of the IDE do you need, and then depending on, on the choice you make there, you then might also have to decide which level of MSDN do you need to go with it. Uh, and, and that requires a lot of analysis and decision making, and it's, it's just, not user-friendly. So, for instance, I could choose to buy Visual Studio Professional, but then do I want MSDN Professional or MSDN Premium? And what's the difference? What do I get in each? Um, and even at the higher end where you were just getting MSDN Premium, what you would get in MSDN Premium would change depending on what product you bought. So we decided to, to streamline a few things. We, we streamlined the, the um the dev tool product choice, like I said, Visual Studio Pro, Premium, Ultimate, uh, simplifying that. And there's also some server side and some, uh, the, like I said, the tester product as well, where we have Test Elements and Team Foundation Server and our Team Lab Management Tool. Uh, and then for the for the dev tool you buy, whether it's Visual Studio Pro, Premium, or Ultimate, or if you buy the Test Element tool because you're going to do the sort of manual testing activity, we we pair each of those with an MSDN subscription, and that MSDN subscription is is matched to the level of products you buy and uh, the benefits you get in the MSDN subscription are intended to match that level of product. So you no longer have to decide between the IDE and which version of MSDN you need. You just choose the product you want and the benefits that automatically come with it. And so we've we've done a lot of work to sort of match the benefits uh, with the product accurately, but we've also done some work to add new benefits into MSDN uh, for all users. So So one of the things that that may have become apparent in our conversation is that I've been talking about Visual Studio Pro Premium and Ultimate. I have not been talking about Visual Studio Team System. Right. And the reason the reason for that is we actually decided to drop the name Team System uh, and just go go center everything around the, the Visual Studio brand. Primarily because <laughs> we realized that the distinction between Visual Studio and Visual Studio Team System was sort of artificial. And this was a huge right. point of confusion for customers. We we would frequently get asked what the difference was between Visual Studio and Visual Studio Team System. And it was largely because we had sort of created this artificial line that said, you're an individual developer or you're a team developer, uh, and and tried to leverage that.
1: Uh, Which one am I? Yeah.
3: Exactly. And the reality is most, most developers are team developers. Um, regardless of the level of tool you need, right? right. You, you might still only need Visual Studio Professional, but you still work on a team. And so what they, what, the, what these people end up doing is buying Visual Studio Professional and they get Team Foundation Server and they get a client access license and then everybody's happy. Um, so there's, there's this distinction of who's a team and who isn't was sort of artificial. So we decided let's not confuse that issue anymore and let's just remove the branding team system and focus on the product as being Visual Studio as a development uh, you know, product for, for teams of all sizes, whether you're, you know, one or two people or one or 200 people. So as part of this, as part of this distinction, we wanted to add some value to MSDN, some new benefits to MSDN. So one of the things we did is we decided to add our team foundation server product to MSDN. Uh, previously we had, you could get uh if you bought one of the Team System products, you would get Team Foundation Server Work Group Edition. This was limited to five people. It was fully featured product. It was limited to five people. And if you wanted to go to more than five people, you'd have to go buy Team Foundation Server and, and uh, install it and get it up and running and then buy client access licenses for everybody. Um, and, th- and, and this was not something that was included in the MSDN for Visual Studio Professional users. So Visual Studio Professional users didn't even get the opportunity to, to sort of try out Team Foundation Server. So with the 2010 release, we decided Team Foundation Server is going to go into all of the the client tool MSDN packages. So if you buy Visual Studio Pro, Premium, or Ultimate, or the Test Elements product, inside of that MSDN uh, subscription that you get with it is a, a license to Team Foundation Server, uh, which includes the ability to deploy it as much as you need for development and test purposes if you want to build add-ons to Team Foundation Server, but also the ability to deploy a single production instance of Team Foundation Server per subscription. So now... Buying, MS, buying a product with MSDN also gets you Team Foundation Server that you can use in production, and we include the client access license so you can get up and running in in, in no time. So a team of any size, as soon as you buy an MSDN subscription, you've got Team Foundation Server and you've got it up and running. Uh, that being said, we recognize that not everybody's buying our dev tools or an MSDN subscription, uh, but they do want to use Team Foundation Server. For example, we have lots of people who use Team Foundation Server with Eclipse, uh, using one of our partner uh, add-ins. Team Prize. is an add-in to Eclipse that allows the the Eclipse developers to connect to Team Foundation Server and get all that benefit. Uh, or people who are, are old school Visual SourceSafe users, we want to give them a, a path to go to. We're not going. We don't have any plans to release a new version of Visual SourceSafe or at least new features to Visual SourceSafe. We'll we'll update it to work with uh, in the 2010 yeah, release. Please don't. Uh, What's that
2: <laughs> just? Please don't release any more versions of Visual Source Safe.
3: <laughs> you know, the, I mean, in all honesty, we don't we don't plan to. We we right. really want to see our Source Safe users transition over to Team Foundation Server. It's a much better uh, solution. It's it's more than just source control. It does a lot more. So, uh, you know, having Team Foundation Server in all of the MSDN subscriptions is is really going to help.
1: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik Extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. These are just announced, and this time they're not standard Web Forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com slash mvc for more information and online demos make sure you thank them for supporting
2: dot rocks yeah it sounds like you're really lowering the bar so anybody working in source safe could easily move over to tfs
3: yeah the interesting thing that the biggest the biggest sort of blockers to adoption that we found when we talked to visual source users were that um Team Foundation Server was a lot more expensive than Visual Source Safe was. Remember, Visual Source Safe came with Visual Studio. It came in right. MSDN subscription. It was uh, readily available to you. And if you didn't get it in MSDN, you could buy it for about five hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, so that was a, that was a primary adoption blocker for most of the customers. And then the other one was was the just better tools to migrate from VSS to to Team Foundation Server. So the inclusion of Team Foundation Server in MSDN should help a lot. Additionally, if if you're not buying MSDN subscription, we're going to be selling Team Foundation Server instead of, we used to have it at $3,000, so we we did raise the price of of Team Suite to Ultimate just a little bit, but in in contrast, Team Foundation Server used to be $3,000 retail or just about, Uh, now it's going to be about $500 retail, and that $500 product will also get you uh, a license and exception for up to five users. So for five hundred dollars, you can get a production instance of Team Foundation Server wow. uh, with five users on it. And then, if you want to add more, you can just buy uh, client access licenses for those users. So the VSS users now have this great opportunity to move to Team Foundation Server at relatively little or no cost. And then we will be coming out with some uh, some improved tools to help migrate from VSS to Team Foundation Server. That's cool.
1: What uh, What about the Express queues? What is, do we have? Anything new to talk about here?
3: there's there's you know new capabilities that show up in the express SKUs as part of the release but there's no uh, fundamental change to the product lineup of the, of the express SKUs. so all the express skus that are available today will have newer versions of them available for 2010 uh, so that there's no real fundamental change the, the biggest changes are really at the at the um, you know standard pro end up
1: what about in terms of features um, or or languages do we have an, an f sharp express sku do we have a iron ruby or iron python express sku
3: uh, right now, to the best of my knowledge, there's no plans to add any new Express SKUs, so we'll have the, the Express SKUs that are available today. Now, uh, I say that being the fact that I'm the guy that works on the team collaboration products, uh, I can't guarantee the accuracy of okay. my statement. How about that? Okay. Right.
2: Well, yeah, and we really haven't seen any announcements around Express yet, So, but there there's going to be 2010 Express editions.
3: There will be express editions for the 2010 release, exactly, and and I, I don't anticipate that any changes to the to the choices of express products that are available. So, going, we now have three
2: versions of 2010: then, professional, premium, ultimate, right?
3: Yeah. So, if you think about the from the from the Visual Studio IDE standpoint, right, the development IDE, there's three flavors: professional, premium, and ultimate. Uh, and then there's a additional on the additional client product for the the testers. This is this is an audience we've never had a product before. Before we didn't have a dedicated manual manual tester product before, so this is a new product, uh, Visual Studio Test Elements. So that's sort of another client tool. And then on the server side, we'll have Team Foundation Server. And then for the virtual lab management capability, we have a Team Lab Management tool that is sort of uh, on the server side as well.
2: Okay, I want to drill into the test stuff, but let's just go over sort of the basic differences between the different types of,
3: of studio here. So, sure.
2: Pro's the base level after Express?
3: Yeah, so Pro is ba- is sort of the, the basic level of professional development tools. So, this is where you find your SharePoint tools, Silverlight tools, uh, Windows and web development, multi-core development, cloud tools. This is all sort of the basic platform development capabilities. We have improvements here for, for unit testing if you like to do test-first development. We have generate from usage capabilities and things like that. But this is sort of your core basic platform development story. Uh, as you then move up the, the product line, if you move up to premium, uh, you, of course, you get everything that's in pro, and then we add on to that. But the features that you would typically find if you were to make a comparison to the 2008 product line, this is where you'd find things that were typically in the development edition, things like static code analysis, code coverage, code metrics, all the sort of ability to understand your code better from a, from a metricing standpoint.
2: And all the cool Data Dude stuff is there too, right?
3: Exactly. All the offline database uh, development capabilities, database change management when you're using it with Team Foundation Server, database unit testing, test data generation, all of those features that you, you found in the database edition are being incorporated into Premium. And we're adding uh, two of our sort of uh, there's of course improvements across the board to all of those things and then we're adding a couple of new features uh, into the premium edition. One of those is uh, called test impact analysis. So this is the ability to analyze uh, changes you make in the code and compare those against code coverage data and tell you what tests you should run. Uh, so, if the, you know, if you, for example, you have a thousand unit tests. And you make a one line code change, you don't necessarily want to run all thousand unit tests, and so this tool will tell you based on the change you made, you know, here's the two or three or five tests that you need to run because they're the only ones that touch that code. Uh, So this should really help with developer productivity for those people, particularly the people using sort of test first development techniques. Uh, The other great new feature we've added in here is our UI test automation. This is um, you may have heard this talked about as the coded UI test type. Yeah. Where, where I can I can record um, some UI activity and then I can use that to it basically takes the recording converts it to c sharp or vB and then I can use that to uh, run some UI test automation where I can run through the run through all the UI steps we we, we record all the sort of mouse clicks and keyboard strokes and all of that and then uh, at the end of that I can add some validation through basic unit tests the assert type statements add some validation against the UI element so this is this is great for like regression testing. I go through a bug, you know, I go through a, a test scenario. Uh Maybe there's a bug, maybe there's not. But by the time I'm done, I've tested it completely successfully. And now this becomes a regression test. And every time I do a test drop, I have to run through this test again. But it's already been successful once. And so it's really sort of costly to run through it over and over and over to pay somebody to test something that's already been tested. So instead, you can convert this to automation and it can just become part of your automation suite. And every time you do a, a new drop, you can just run through this uh, test automation very easily because we convert all the recordings to C sharp and VB code. You can you know parameterize it. You can you can match it up against configuration files. You can do all the things you would normally do with any kind of code. And then as you move from premium up to ultimate, we add in of course. This is at ultimate, you get everything we make. So you get. Um, all of the things you saw in Premium and Pro plus, uh, the load and web testing capabilities that we have currently in the test edition. All of our, we have brand new architecture tools that we've, um, built in the ground up. So we have our architecture explorer for visualizing your code assets so you can create these, these maps and graphs of all your code artifacts. Uh, we have all of our new UML modeling capabilities for doing use cases and activity diagrams and sequence diagrams and so on. Uh, and then also our layer diagramming capability where you can create these, um, logical or or physical representations of your code and how the dependencies work between different layers in your code. Uh, We include include here uh, the capability you might've heard referred to before as uh, the historical debugger. We've now uh, given this thing a name, it's called IntelliTrace, and IntelliTrace is the tool that allows you to take a debugging session, whether it was local or remote, and kind of go back in time and, and rewind back through that session and step through that code as if it was currently executing on your machine and That's awesome. check the state of yeah. variables and do all these great things that you would normally do in a debugging session. But uh, in this case, it's already transpired.
2: And that really leads us into this whole new test infrastructure, which is, and I, I presume IntelliTrace is a big part of.
3: Exactly. So if you think about the the primary problem that developers and testers have in working with each other is that they fundamentally just don't understand each other. Um yeah. They speak different languages, different things are important to them. So from a tester standpoint, um, there's a requirement that I write a test case to, on how I'm gonna test that requirement and verify that the requirement was fulfilled correctly. When I do when that, when the code comes to me and I run through that test, if something goes wrong, I file a bug. And the, when I file a bug, I will document what I think is important about that, which may or may not be the same thing that the developer needs. For example, I may not uh, know to capture a certain piece of information to communicate to the developer, uh, not because I'm not as good as the developer, but just because we're different, we have different disciplines and different things are important Mm -hmm. to us. From a developer standpoint, this can be just as frustrating because now I've got a bug and I can't reproduce the bug because there's some core piece of information missing. So I run through the scenario and I can't find the bug. Everything seems to work correctly. This is the quintessential, you know, works on my machine problem. Right. And the bug the bug gets closed out with the status of no repro. I couldn't yeah. reproduce the bug, so there must not be a bug. And then eventually, who finds the bug in the long run? The end user. The right. customer. Somebody else finds the bug and it's it's not a good scenario.
1: Doug, have you seen PEX?
3: PEX. Oh, PEX. Uh, We don't have any uh, PEX uh, features in this release. The the PEX stuff will still be available.
1: It's pretty awesome, though. I did a DNR TV on this, uh, and it's white box testing for Visual Studio. So not only will it do what NUnit does, sort of namely, you know, create a test framework for your methods, but it'll actually come up with sample data to send yeah. in and it will test every uh it'll make every test that it possibly can make
3: exactly yeah there's there's some great work that our that our teams are doing in that front uh it's not something that we had ready for the 2010 release but yeah. it's something we're continuing to work on so you'll still see you know things coming out around it uh and eventually we'll see it probably incorporated in the product but the the idea of you know the fact that as a person who works in development i probably have a lot of code already that i probably didn't write unit tests for so give me something that will help me generate uh, some tests that i can use as sort of a baseline to just yeah. start start making sure that as i make changes to my code base i have something i can validate those changes with uh, so that'll you'll continue, continue to see some development there the the test and lab manager capabilities are really around that sort of more like black box testing, where I'm a tester. I'm doing some of that sort of functional testing and validating that requirements were met and finding those bugs. And the interesting thing about how the IntelliTrace capabilities fit into all of this is that when I file the bug, uh, we're actually able to capture a lot of information from the test environment itself. We have all these data collector agents that we can spin out to the test environments, whether they're local to the tester's machine or in some test lab somewhere else. We can collect data like system information data. We can collect an, an event trace uh, that we can attach the bug, and that's what allows you, you as a developer then to attach to that and step through it as if you were debugging on the machine that was uh, being used at the time that the test was running. We do video capture so you can actually see what the tester was doing at the time. So instead of having to go over the tester and saying, hey, can you do that again? I want to see what you did. Um, you can just play the video back and see what was happening. So the test and lab manager has all these great tools to sort of tie into this IntelliTrace capability by providing all of these data collection uh, resources back to the developer with the idea that then this, if you think about this, you know, the the collaboration between developers and testers having a, a large amount of white space in between the two where communication breaks down and things happen, this is intended to sort of compress and reduce that white space so that uh, we facilitate a lot of the communication that needs to happen, so the developer is getting what they need, and the tester is doing what they need to be doing to to satisfy their requirements.
2: And this uh, Elements Edition, this is not the IDE. This is for non you know IDE folks,
3: right? Visual Studio Test Elements is intended for the generalist tester, the person who does this functional testing. So they're right. going to when, when you open up the box for Visual Studio Test Elements, they'll, the DVD that you get in there is going to have. The Microsoft Test and Lab Manager that you'll install, but it will not include the Visual Studio IDE because the people who are using this, this product, the people who are doing functional testing, don't want the Visual Studio IDE. Now, Visual Studio Ultimate will have both the IDE and the Test and Lab Manager, so it'll have both.
2: Um, is it, is this, what's the pricing like on Test Elements?
3: Uh, Test Elements pricing uh, is going to be in the in the ballpark of about $2,000 with an MSTM subscription. So about okay. about half the price of what you would see like Visual Studio Premium going for.
2: Uh, and there's still the free bit for anybody being able to submit bugs and track where the bug's going to, right? That came out in 2008?
3: Yeah. So um, for, for the Team Foundation server, we, we changed things a little bit. So one... Uh, we're including Team Foundation Server production deployment with MSDN uh, yeah. retail. You can buy it for about 500 bucks. And this is, by the way, it's the full-featured product. There's no difference here. From there's, we have basically one TFS product. Um, and and part of the licensing for that is anybody can uh, file a uh, create a new work item. So file a bug is sort of the canonical example of that. Uh, they can create a new work item and they can update their work item for the purposes of clarification. Uh, without having to have a cow. So anybody right. can do that. So the idea of using it to collect bugs from your end users and things like that is, is easy. Um, all Of course, all of the MSDN subscriptions come with a client access license, so anybody with an MSDN subscription can connect to TFS and do whatever it is they need to do. One of the other things we did with TFS, uh, to go back to the, the Visual source SourceFix users, is uh, a few weeks ago we made this announcement, but we we added what we call a basic installation option to TFS. And the basic installation option just cuts off a couple of the features of TFS, the SharePoint capabilities and the reporting capabilities, and can be installed on top of SQL Server Express, uh, which means you can install it on a client OS, like Windows 7 Home Premium, for example. I did did an installation of TFS on Windows 7 Home Premium a couple days ago, and it took about 20 minutes from the time I clicked install to the time it was ready to use. Uh, And we do that by chain installing SQL Server Express, and configuring only the things you need at sort of the minimum level, so work item tracking, uh, version control, and build automation. So this is, if you go back to the VFS guy, this is a great alternative to VSS because I can use it in the same operating systems that I'm using VSS in today, uh, and I have the core capabilities I need. And at any point in time, if I want to, I can upgrade it to the full TFS.
2: So it's a it's like a lightweight, ultra lightweight version of TFS just running on a workstation, no server.
3: Yeah, it can be run on a server if you want. If you don't, if you don't have any need for the SharePoint services or the reporting services, and you just want a quick, lightweight, easy to install, easy to get up and running version of TFS, you can do this on a client OS or you can do this on a server OS. It'll it'll work on Vista, it'll work on Windows Seven, it'll work on Windows Server.
2: So, but it's just about uh, a source code repository then.
3: It's it's more than just a source code repository because again, you get the work item tracking ability, right. so you can track all your work, and you also get the build automation capability. So all of the all of the abilities for continuous integration and for gated check-in and for branch visualization, all of those abilities are, are there in the product. The only difference is you don't have the reporting and you don't have the SharePoint.
2: Okay, moving on then. This, the new thing for me is this team lab management because right now everybody's rolling their own, right? hmm the, the ability to how you build your virtual machines for testing. Even yep. I've seen lots of folks now having sort of virtual machine templates per project.
3: Yeah, so the, the team lab management is is sort of our solution to this, where you can create and manage these virtual lab environments. And we we essentially built this on top of the System Center Virtual Machine Manager. So you, you would deploy this out to all of the host machines, and you would sort of configure and manage the lab through the test and lab manager. So, again, either with test elements or with Visual Studio Ultimate. And you'd have the ability to go in, and define environments uh, you know and by by environment, I mean one or more machines that make up a test environment. Uh, so an example of this might be I have you know two web servers that are that are working together against uh, you know an application server running some web services, and then a database server that's being connected to and that I can define that as my environment, and I can put what I need on all those machines, including the data collector agents that I'll use to collect all that diagnostic data during testing and then i can I can identify that as a template. And so now I've got this template of an environment, and every time I need to spin up a lab environment, I just provision an instance of that template, and it fires up all the VMs, and they're networked together, but they're ring fenced in isolation. So I can have multiple templates, uh, multiple instances of the template running at a time. If I have lots of different people testing, I don't want them stepping all over each other. Right. So in, a, in an ideal world, you know, you have your build that runs, and then you have a build uh, a step that uh, provisions this test environment and deploys out your code to this test environment, including database, uh, you know, test data generation and populating your database with some test data. And then starts off all of that automated UI testing where you can go through this automated UI before your manual testers jump in and start doing all the manual tests. And you can spin up all of these environments, uh, as you need. Now, the, the, the cool thing about this is as you're going through these environments, and if you do find a bug, you know, we're collecting all that diagnostic data for IntelliTrace, like I told you. But one of the other things you can attach to the bug is a checkpoint of this environment. Because we're using Hyper-V and System Center Virtual Machine Manager, I can just grab a checkpoint or a snapshot of that environment and attach it to the bug. So the developer, when they get the bug, they can open up the exact same environment that I was running in at the exact point in time in which I found the bug, and they can look at the event log, and they can look at what was happening in the application, and they can uh, do whatever they need to do to help identify what was going wrong. So they're actually now no longer working in a similar environment to what the tester has but they're working in the exact same environment as what the tester has
2: cool you know one of the topics is near and dear to my heart we just sort of blew past this in the different versions Is doing load test web load testing with studio Mm. because it's it's so nice and again a lot of people don't even know about it yeah Uh, but i I saw in the in your outline here that it's the load testing's only in the ultimate edition
3: correct we we uh, As we moved from this sort of massively complex model to this more simplified model, we had to kind of decide, you know, where do features land in this product lineup? And we decided that web and load testing was really s- sort of a more specialized feature. The, the people who use it are generally more sophisticated and more senior and will likely be using other features of the ultimate level of Visual Studio as well. So we right. thought that was an appropriate place for it.
2: Well, and I appreciate that you put testing through all the versions. So folks working in a sort of test-driven model – have the tools they need no matter what version they're running
3: yeah that was one of the sort of principles that we, we when we when we sat down and started thinking about how to make these changes we had a couple of core principles one of them was simplification we had whatever we did had to be first about simplification of the product line but secondly was we wanted to make sure that regardless of what product you were getting that you had sort of a, a good sampling of all the capabilities. So as you go from, you know, professional where you have sort of unit testing capabilities, and we added there to the generate from usage uh, features for test-first development. And then as you yep. step up to premium, adding code coverage capabilities, adding that UI test automation, and then at the highest end, adding those the test case management uh, tools and the web and load testing. So we really want to make sure that across the product line you're getting access to all of these things.
2: And I mean, a big thing with load testing is multiple agents. And uh, is it, do we any comment on the pricing of the uh, the test agents?
3: Yeah, actually, good question. So one of the problems we run into uh, and feedback we get a lot is that the way we license it today is you you license the agent. Um, you have a controller, and then you need some number of agents to generate load from, and those agents are associated with a processor. And however much load you can generate per processor is is what you get. And so you, you pay for an agent and then, you know, however much load you, that your hardware can generate is what you get. And what we find is that a lot of customers are, are provisioning old hardware for the purposes of load testing or they're taking idle uh, hardware and using it and. One agent per processor was really costly for most of these customers because they didn't have hardware that could generate massive amounts of load. So we got a lot of feedback that this was fundamentally broken because it was really costly. Our intent was, of course, to provide a great solution saying, hey, if you have really powerful hardware, you'll be able to generate a lot of load. Uh, And we were finding that just wasn't the case. So we changed the model around and said, you know what, we're going to make the, we're going to keep the controller as sort of free software. You can, Install the controller. And now we're going to make the agent as free software. So deploy as many agents as you need across as many machines as you want. Mm. And then we'll just you just license how many virtual users you want to create. So nice. if you want to create a thousand virtual users, you license a thousand virtual users and you can spread that across, you know, one machine or twenty machines. It's up to you. Um so now you can have as many agents as you want and just pay for the load you want to create.
2: Yeah, that's way more fair, Doug. I really appreciate yeah. that. Because you you were driving us to WCAD is what you were doing. We would do our initial testing in this lovely studio tool, and then we'd sw- as soon as we needed to do a big load test, we'd switch over to the free command line tool. It was a nightmare.
3: Yeah, and then, then the problem was there was we had a few customers who were able to generate lots of load off a single processor because they had the state of the art equipment, but yeah. most customers that wasn't the case, and so we really wanted to satisfy most customers. Uh, and, and what we did is we made sure from a pricing standpoint that um, what what the the higher end hardware could generate is about what we'll package together in an appropriate price. So the pricing model doesn't change too much. It's just that it's not, it's now we're not charging you to spread that load out across multiple machines.
2: Right. Okay. I dig that. That's really good. Thank you for that. You're welcome. That was my
3: idea.
1: (laughs) So Doug, let's talk about the launch. Let's talk about when it's going to ship and the go live license.
3: Yeah. There's a, there's a few interesting points to this. So we, on Monday the 19th, we announced that we'll launch Visual Studio on March 22nd, 2010. So now you know when this product is coming. You, you have some time to look forward to this. And the reason we did that was two things. One, the go-live license. You, you, if you're going to take a beta product and go live on it, you want to have a an understanding of how long you're going to be on the beta product before the release comes out. So that was part of it. The other part of it was because of the changes to the product line, uh, we, we want to make sure customers have some time to make some decisions. Because if, if you go back to the sort of seven or eight IDE products, and now compared to the three IDE products we have now, there's not a one-to-one comparison. If I had, you know, test edition before, what do I, what do I need now? And it's, there's not a direct translation. So it's it's not as easy as saying, okay, well, we're just going to up, update you to the new 2010 product. Mm-hmm. Instead, there's some decisions customers have to make to figure out where they want to be. Uh, in order to make sure that, that – when we released 2010, that everybody gets uh, the right product, we've done a few things. One, again, going back to our core principles was that no matter what we do, we weren't going to take anything away from you. So if Mm -hmm. you have a product today, uh, we're going to transition you to a product that gets you at least, at the bare minimum, all of the capabilities you have today. And in most cases, we want to make sure you get more capability than what you had today.
1: Is that what you're calling the ultimate offer?
3: Exactly. The ultimate offer. And the idea behind the ultimate offer is that um, take whatever you have today and either give you equal value in 2010, of course, the new improvements, but at least the capabilities are there, or if we can transition you up to a higher end product. And we're doing this based on your MSDN subscription. So if you have a uh, Visual Studio professional with an MSDN professional subscription, you're going to get a lateral transition, nothing taken away from you. Plus, you're, you're going to get Visual Studio Pro with MSDN. So you get the new Silverlight tools, the new SharePoint tools, things like that. If you have anything with an MSDN premium subscription, we're going to transition you up the product line. So if you have Visual Studio Professional with MSDN premium, we're going to transition you up to Visual Studio Premium, which if you remember back, I said it was sort of like the development edition because of all those extra capabilities. So you're actually getting uh, the next level up IDE product along with all the MSDN benefits.
1: And you get TFS with one Cal.
3: Yep. And, and bear in mind, Visual Studio Pro is going to get TFS with OneCal as well. Everybody gets that. Okay. Um, nice. But you get moved up to Visual Studio Premium, which means you get the, the coded UI testing and the test impact analysis and the code coverage and all those things. So it's, you're really getting transitioned up to a higher end product.
1: Is there some Office stuff that comes with that too? Is like Office Professional Plus 2010 or something?
3: Yeah, so the, at the Visual, the MSDN benefits change from Visual Studio Professional to Visual Studio Premium. Mm. So at Visual Studio Premium, you get production use rights to Office. Um, you get some of the additional server products like Exchange and, and BizTalk and SharePoint and things like that that you don't get at the Visual Studio Professional level. Wow. Uh, and you also get uh, more support incidents and, and things like that. So there's definitely more benefits the further up the product line you go. Wow,
1: and that's just if you have Professional. Now, what if you have Team system.
3: Well, so so professional. So, uh, if you have anything today with uh, the words "team system" in the title, we're going to transition. It, and again, this is all based on having an MSDN subscription as well. Uh, we're going to transition you up to Visual Studio Ultimate. So oh, yes. anybody that has a Team System branded product today is going to end up at the highest end product that we have, Visual Studio Ultimate. And we're going to do this all on the day that we launch. So on, on March twenty second, 2010, if you go into your MSDN subscription, you'll see these new products show up in your MSDN subscription based on whatever it was you had that day. Think uh, think that this as sort of an instant transition based on what you have on that day. We will then make something new available to you. And then there's no additional cost to you in terms of your MSDN subscription we don't we don't raise the price of your MSDN subscription until the uh, the end of your MSDN subscription then you decide if you want to renew at the higher end or at the or or kind of renew back down at the lower end the advantage here is we're we're not uh, we're not ever going to charge you the difference in the license price Mm. Uh, the license price is actually a pretty substantial part of the pricing. We're just, if you think about uh, the time when you first buy an MSDN subscription to when you renew an MSDN subscription, the renewal price is significantly lower. Yeah. Uh, so all we're doing right. is, is asking you whether or not you want to pay a higher or lower MSDN renewal price. And we've been talking about retail
1: prices here. What's the real price of Visual Studio? If I, if I wanted to buy this, you know, if I, if I came in new and I want to buy Visual Studio, what are the real prices I'm going to pay at the store?
3: Um, it's, it's tough to give you actual numbers. And the reasons why is we have the retail price and that's, if, it, if you just go into the, you know, some, some reseller and say, I want to buy a copy. If you go to, you know, the Microsoft store and say, I want to buy Visual Studio Ultimate with my credit card. Um, you know, the retail price is what you see on the website, like $12,000. If you are a, a customer who's going through our volume licensing program, depending on the the volume licensing program you're going through and how many desktops you have in your organization and all of those things, uh, those can drastically change your price. The, the volume licensing pricing uh, can be completely different than what you see in, in retail. So it's hard to quote exact numbers. It'll change by the size of the organization you are and, and all of those things.
1: So retail isn't manufacturer-suggested retail where it's usually less than that at the store.
3: Yeah, think of what's on the website as MSRP, which which is if I go into, you know, if I go to Amazon.com, that's likely what I'm going to be paying is whatever is listed as the retail price. Uh, But if I'm going through my Microsoft account rep or I'm going through a reseller and I'm going through the volume licensing program, uh, you know, discounts will apply based on the the size of my organization and how many uh, pieces of software I'm buying, both Visual Studio as well as other software like Windows and Office and SQL Server and things like that.
2: Yeah, I think when you get into a real organization, it doesn't have to be big. Maybe it's 20 people and you own copies of Windows and copies of Office and you've got a couple of servers and all of a sudden you should be buying as a package, right? As a volume.
3: Exactly. If you have more than five desktops that you're licensing, you should you should start contacting uh, a reseller or an, an account rep about volume licensing, because even at that low of a level, you can start getting some discounts. And then, of course, the, the larger you are, the more discounts you can get.
2: So five is the starting number.
3: Uh, I believe that's the sort of lowest number that qualifies you for volume licensing. Um, and, you know, again, the discounts are not as great at five as they are at 5,000, but... Right.
1: And by the way, we have uh, added a link to the Visual Studio page on Shrinkster.com slash 1B51, 1Beta51. Doug, is there anything else that we need to cover before we wrap it up?
3: Um, you know, the biggest thing is, like I said, we got the new Beta 2 out. It's got the Go Live license. It's available for everybody. We You can you can download a beta of each of the individual products. So if you want to try out Ultimate, you can. If you just want to try out uh, pro you can all of those things are available you can go live on them if you want uh the the support is limited but we will support the transition to the release and then really start looking at the the ultimate offer and think about what product you want to have when we launch because that's not necessarily the product you have to buy uh you'll buy something today and we'll we'll step you up to a higher product or we'll transition you up to a higher product so really think about where you want to end up and then uh position yourself to get the best value out of the out of this ultimate offer Uh, With that, enjoy the beta. Have fun. Let us know what you think of it.
1: And uh, can't wait for the launch. (laughs) It's going to be fun. Thank you, Doug. Thanks very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
3: Thanks, guys. All
1: right. We'll talk to you next time on Gotten Rocks.